Uh, it's a real privilege, as I said, just to get up and share, but also share about people's lives um, that formed and helped mould and shape the way New Zealand is today. And uh, the guy um, that I'm going to be talking about, his name's Octavius Hadfield. So can everyone say Octavius Hadfield for me? Good, that's right. Now, because it's such a mouthful, how we're going to roll here is any time I say O-H, you're going to go, hoo, 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 all right? So I'll just do a little demo here, and we'll say, so I'm talking about, you know, this guy is walking around, and O-H. Look, I think that was just mainly the girls doing that, actually. Didn't sound very manly to me. Come on, boys, let's get it up a ramp, eh? So, and I was walking along, and I met O-H. That's better, that's better. I know it sounds a bit gorilla-ish, but it is sort of, you know, OH is sort of that gorilla noise. Anyway, there we go. Look, I, I, when I was, when I was um, starting to read about this guy, um, he sort of blew my mind because he was just such a legend in what he did and his passion and, and, and the challenges that he faced, um, not only in his own life and frailty, but, um, you know, what, what, he, what he experienced when he came to New Zealand. And I... I really had this verse, Matthew 10, 39, which says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And uh, this is this great paradox of Christianity, is that it's in the surrender. It's actually in the surrender where you truly find God. And uh, it's a dangerous place to be. Because when you surrender to God, watch out. You'll start to see families transformed, workplaces transformed, cities transformed and nations transformed. And this guy lived a life of surrender. He started off in England and he, is, uh, he became a Christian when he was in his teens. And any teens in the house? Maybe Hannah, I don't know. Maybe any teens there? They're probably all upstairs doing the studies. Um, but he became a Christian at, uh, at, as a teen. At 18 years old, he was at Oxford University. So he's from a well-to-do family, right? Back in those days, we're t- talking, you know, a um, couple of hundred years ago sort of thing. So, you know, if you went to university, you're from a well-to-do family. Um, so in, in this situation, you know, this day and age, my family, my da- dad was a carpenter, my mum was a nurse, I wouldn't have been going to university if I was in his space. So, he, you, know, he had, you know, he had some money. So he had a lot of reason not to do what he did with his life. You know, he could have lived in the lap of luxury quite easily. Um, and anyway, he's, he's at Oxford University. He's living in this cold, uh, wet, damp room. He was that sick that uh, he just didn't know what to do with himself. And in this space... He, he decided to start following God, even in the midst of this, this sickness and uh, the challenges that he was facing in his life. And uh, a, lot, a lot of what caused this, this desire to serve Jesus was reading in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Um, so in that, it's a great commission. This is Jesus just about before he's taken off, going to heaven, and he's going to release the Holy Ghost. Uh, 50 days later, and he's going to touch the world and to the church that we are today, right? And he said, all authority has been given unto me on heaven and earth. 
And then he said the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, you know, baptizing them. And, uh, and this, this is what Jesus said when he left. And this Great Commission captured this young man's heart at 18 years old in a very, very uh, compromised place as far as his health. I don't know if you know about pressure, but there's different types of pressure in life. I remember uh, scuba diving. I hadn't been scuba diving for years, and uh, I was out in Kennedy Bay in the Coromandel with a friend of mine, and he's um, ex-SAS, so he's all about the action, you know, and, and uh, I said, mate, I haven't done this for 20 years, mate, and I haven't got my ticket. He said, you'll be right, come along. We got on this old dinghy, took out from the back of the marae, and uh, went out just at the entrance of Kennedy Bay, and, um, and he said, look, take this uh, two-litre um, Coke bottle with you when we go down, and you'll get an idea of the pressure, because you just forget if you haven't done something for a while. So, and he said, look, we'll toss the gear off the side, blow off the BC, which is that floaty bit. If you get into emergencies, you hit it, and then you, you come up out of the water. And anyway, so I threw this off. He disappears, and just before he said, oh, if I do these sign language, you'll know I've got, you've got to do this. And I was, flip, I'd already forgotten by the time he had taken off. You know, I'm starting to dive down in the water, sort of trying to drag myself down this anchor chain, you know, maybe, I don't know, five metres of visibility or something. It wasn't a tremendous amount. And I'm carrying this bottle, and it's just compressing and compressing and compressing, you know, and got down to the 10-metre mark, and he's already in, had his head in some sort of cave, dragging out some rock lobster, and, uh, and I saw him sort of waving his feet around, and I was thinking, oh, is that a signal? Is he stuck? What's going on? Because <laughs> I couldn't see the front half of his torso. It's just his bum and legs hanging out the back, you know. But this pressure that happens in life, like, like this, this guy got a glimpse of that pressure, I believe, on his life at this time, this pressure of the call, this pressure of the surrender. And it can come at any time in your life. But one thing I do know is that if you live in a lifestyle of reading the Bible, this is the primary way that God speaks to his people. There's something about this book. You know, it's dynamic. It's lived through the centuries, and it's it's got transforming power that you would never believe unless you get in it. But you've got to live in it. Like, you've got to ask yourself the question, and I'm going to get on to OH shortly. You've got to ask yourself the question, if you're watching more TV than you're reading the Bible, there's something a little bit imbalanced about your walk. Anyway, no conviction. Just, just putting it out there, you know. We're going to transform the world. This is what you need to do. And I know it transforms your life. I'm a living testimony to that. So this pressure that comes on your life, I mean... You could be snorkeling with a wine sling down under the water. You're following the fish. You get down. You're going around about 10 metres. You're trying to get to the fish. It's just out of your reach. You impale it. Then you look up and you think, how the heck am I going to get up 10 metres and get out of this water, you know, because you're so focused on the fish. And that, that's this pressure I'm talking about that comes with this, this revelation from God of the call and the purposes of God for your life. Well, this guy... This is the type of pressure he felt. And can I say this? You'll never lighten the load or any load until you feel the pressure in your own soul. So we've got to feel this pressure in our own soul. So anyway, OH. Good, good. Let's get in. A bit more manly, please, Ants. 
You're the senior pastor. He was so sick after, this, after turning 18 and going through this process. He was in bed with tuberculosis. In the 1800s, man, thousands and thousands and thousands of people died from tuberculosis. There was no cure. There's nothing they could do for it, basically. He had tuberculosis and asthma. And his family, including his 11 brothers and one sister, all thought he was going to die. No one thought he was going to live. And, but he had this pressure in his life. And he just said, I want to go and serve God. You know, I'd rather go and serve God than lie here and just, and just fold to the sickness. And so what did he do? At 21, he decided to become a missionary. And he jumped on a boat after two years of study, which he normally it would take four or five years to become a missionary in those days. But he pestered them that much because he thought he was going to die. So he said, you better get, get me out to the to, to some place soon, and he ended up turning up in New Zealand in Kerikiri in the North Island. So Octavius Hadfield, this is where he turned up. And uh, this is why I brought this pressure cooker up here today. This is my mum's pressure cooker. There's been many meals cooked in it. Anyone cook with a pressure cooker in here? You do? I want you to think about it, eh? Think about God and think about the burden he's got on your life for reaching people beyond your small world. Yeah, anyway. Um, So at 21, he does the study, he gets on a boat, he turns up in Kirikiri in the north. Beautiful place, fantastic place. But it was called the whore hole of the Pacific at those days because there's a lot of sailors, prostitution, it was just a wild place, trading in muskets. You know, there's nothing pretty about... Kerry Kerry in those days, you know, it was a, you know, it was just a, you wouldn't want to go there, but that's where this guy turned up. And uh, while he was there, he learned te reo, the, ma- the language. He was teaching young uh, European kids, uh, missionaries' children, and uh, two young warriors turned up from the bottom of the South Island, and, uh, and it was the son and the nephew of Te Rautpraha, who at that stage was the actual most feared chief in New Zealand. No one liked him. He was a mongrel, basically. He was a tough nut. You know, here's the guy that you didn't want to meet when you're walking down the street. There's a bit of a rhyme there. I wasn't planning it, but... Um, you know, he, he was a hard chief, and, uh, and, and he, he, he demanded certain things. And, and there's legend has it that he had the longest tongue in the lower North Island for doing the pukana. But that's just my story. Um, <laughs> so these guys came up and they said, look, we've heard about this God and we want a missionary to come down. And this is the cool part. I love this part here. And so if we can slip on, uh, slip on side six here, I think it's slide six. Um, although he was still sickly, he volunteered at once, and he made these, this famous statement, I can only die once and would just as soon die in a mouldy par as in a missionary house. How cool is that, man? I mean, this guy, was, he was still sickly as, and he was down, and he said, hey, no one else was prepared to go because they all, all knew of Te Rauparaha's reputation as being a guy that, you know, didn't suffer fools. You know, this was a tough, tough nut. And anyway, so it went on from there. And uh, slip on slide seven, please. I think we've got these slides a bit mixed up. I don't know what's going on. The next one. 
You can see him, he looks like an angry guy. Right, here's a, here's a little shot from a parent's garage last night. And uh, that's actually a coffin, believe it or not, in there, because dad, dad sort of made a coffin a while, but he thought he was going to die about six years. I know it sounds all a bit weird, <laughs> but, you know, I've got a pretty freaky family. I mean, here's, you know, I'm evidence of that, right? You know, you don't need to point the finger, though. Um, but anyway... Um, just by chance, I didn't realise there's a taxi sign on there, which I thought was quite appropriate. It's gonna... <laughs> he was in the first service, by the way. He's 87. He had a quadruple bypass about 12, 13 years ago, so he's living on borrowed time. And, um, and he also loves bananas, and there's a doll box of bananas on there. <laughs> you couldn't even plan it, eh? I just cracked up when I saw it. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. But, you know, what I've got this here for is that, you know, this guy said... You know, I'd rather die in a mouldy path than in a missionary house. In, in other words, he is saying, I'd rather die where I'm meant to be. I'd rather die where I'm called to be. I'd rather die where God's, God wants me to be. And that's the challenge for all of us. You know, are you ready for death? You know, it's a morbid question, I know. But it's a good question to ask yourself. And, uh, and if you were to die today, would you be happy where you're at? All deep questions. I mean, I know my dad's ready for death. There's no doubt about that. He's been ready for many years. And he, he, he's, good. he's good to go. You know, he's confident. He's got confidence in his faith and his creator. He loves the Lord. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. So anyway, so he left Kerikeri in the north and went to Port Nicholson, which is uh, what they call Wellington today. Um, he ended up going up to uh, Kapiti, um, opposite Kapiti Island, around that sort of area. And um, he engaged with this fierce chief, Te Ropra. He lived in a tent outside the pa for a while. Maybe we could go another slide or two. Um, where were we at to? Oh, yeah, stop there, that'll do. And um, he lived in a tent. <laughs> These slides are all over the place, honestly. It's crazy. It's a bit like my mind. And anyway... Um, Anyway, he lived in a tent outside the pa, was still very, very, very sick, and then he ended up shifting into the pa, and he was the first European missionary in New Zealand to live within a pa, and he built a little reed hut and stayed in the pa in, um, in Kapiti with Te Rapraha. And he began to teach people about Jesus and start schools and teach people about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, this grew and grew and grew, and uh, to the point where he was uh, itinerating right up to Taranaki, right down to Wellington, right across to Wairarapa, and to the top of the South Island. I mean, that's a massive area. I mean, I just drove, I was at Kapiti at Christmas, and I drove from there around to Wairarapa, and man, that's, that's a long distance, you know what I mean? And this guy was generally on a horse, right, you know? on the paddle, you know, getting canoed along, or I'm beating the feet. So, um, yeah, and in this sickly condition where he suffered from asthma and tuberculosis. Um, I just, I don't know how he did it. You know, I get a bit of a cold and I think the whole world's over. You know, this guy was, you know, seriously sick. And anyway, he was being so successful down there that 
he basically stirred up one of the local chiefs, and his name was uh, Timatia, and he's from Otaki. Anyone been to Otaki before? Great place to shop, all second shops and this type of thing. I think the motorway is about to bypass it down there, Pika Pika Motorway extension. But um, yeah, so this chief was stirred up, and he was going to his meetings and his Sunday school meetings and his church meetings, and he was heckling from the back. You know, everyone loves a good heckler. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've had plenty of hecklers over the years. I've had guys stand up, oh, what are you talking about? You know, I've got guys run up on stage, grab the mic off me, you know, when I've been at the Mount one year, at New Year's, and all types of things, you know. It's good having a bit of heckler, heckling. And this is what this guy was doing. So he, he started, you know, he started disrupting all his meetings. So he decided, right, I'm going to go and talk to this chief, Timatia, and OH, good, they're still listening. Uh, turned up at this, this par, and, uh, and he sat down and waited. Because, I mean, he was the guy visiting. He wasn't the chief, so he had to wait. And as he sat down and wait, waited, he picked up a kumara. And then he made a fatal mistake where he didn't just pick up the kumara, but he took a bite of it. And that was very, very offensive to do that in that culture, right? So um, you can take that home if you like, mate. Coomera sweet potato, love that, for, love it. It's like for, food for the soul, mate. Um, so this chief saw him, grabbed his axe, ran straight for him to knock him on the head and kill him. So, and O.H., was killed in the Marae. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He actually lived on. <laughs> so what happened is his two daughters run in because they, they knew of his reputation. He's a good man. They run and put their hands over his head, protected him, and uh, Tima, T, uh, Matia could not then fulfill killing Octavius Hadfield. So the crazy thing, this is what I love about Christianity. When you start living in the purposes of God and you're surrendered to God, I mean, it's, it's a tough place to go, don't get me wrong. But if you start living there, your life gets exciting. I mean, you don't need to do drugs. You don't need to do alcohol. You don't need to be doing all these things that the world's doing because your life will be exciting. Take my word for it on a daily basis. And anyway, so the, he, he bypasses being killed by Timatia. Next minute, the tohunga, which is the medicine man, you know, the, the guy that sort of mixes the herbs and does all this stuff and puts the poultices on the wounds or, or pronounces curses over people within uh, the Māori culture. Um, he pronounced a curse on OH. Good, 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 good. And, uh, and so this OH, and everyone was concerned because if this guy placed a curse on someone, generally they died. I mean, that's, you know, there's power. There's power out there. You may not have experienced it, but there's power on both sides. It's just I know that we serve the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, the creator of all, the first and the last, you know? You know, our God just laughs at the power of, 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 of the enemy. And this was the enemy's work. And so everyone thought he was going to die. He carried on doing his work, carried on doing his schooling, came back two days later. Hello, guess what? The tohunga died. <laughs> so guess what happened from then? Wow, there was some mana there was some respect from the people all through Otaki, and God started to move in power through that 
that area, people started to become Christians. So this, this, is, the, this is the type of guy where, you know, Octavius was. But look, I don't know. In his mind, he probably was just thinking, oh, I'll just carry on. He might have been ignorant to the fact that the tall hunger had this power to curse him. I don't know. He'd been there for a while, but maybe hadn't been exposed to that part of, of, uh, of the culture, you know. Uh, so he may have been a little bit ignorant, but sometimes ignorance is not a bad thing when you're walking in God. Because I tell you what, when you make a decision in God, you get to a crossroads, and when you're surrendered to God, sometimes he doesn't mind which way you go. Because he knows your heart and your focus is towards him. That's what walking for God is. He'll bless you either way, as long as you're surrendered to him. So this is this, is this lifestyle this guy was, was, was talking. So the guy that sucked the coomer in the end <laughs> definitely wasn't OH. It was the tohunger, unfortunately. Yeah, suck the coomer means, you know, you got the, the worst, the bad end of the deal, um, if you don't understand that little bit of slang that we use here in New Zealand. Well, I don't know, they may use it in other countries. Everyone knows the term, suck the coomer? No? All right, well, now you do. Now you do. <laughs> Just don't bite the coomer. That's the main thing. Not if you're in a, in a mrai situation, you're sitting down and it's off, off the, um, off the uh, ground. So, Otaki was impacted for God. Can we slip on to the next slide, please? I put this up because Octavius was a man of incredible, incredible integrity. He was a man that was actual. Can everyone say actual? Actual. Actual. I like that, Lord. You know, when you meet someone, you just say, you see them doing something, you say actual. That means, man, that, that's smooth, that's good, that's done right. That, that's, you know, that, you're the man, you're the woman, you know? It's genuineness. It's not fake or false. You know, it's not, it's not adulterated. You know, you're getting the pure gear here. You know what I mean? There's not a mix-up of different things in this. If you're buying flour, there's just flour in this thing, you know? Um, if you're buying a gold ring, it's, it's, it's gold. And the locals, because of this reputation that he had, um, honoured him with the name Rangatia Pai, which means the mild chief. And, uh, and what I love about this is there's this verse in the Bible and it says, a, a word spoken softly breaks the bone. And it's not about the noise, you know. It's not about the yelling and the screaming. It's not about the louder you say it, the more God's going to move on your behalf. God doesn't work like that. I mean, he's got big ears, man. He doesn't need to hear you yelling and screaming. You know, you just come and come as you are. Come as you are. And this guy was genuine. He showed it. He intervened in two specific situations that changed the course of the nation. One was surveyors started to carve up land in his dominion. This is Terapra we're talking now. And Terapra got in a fight, killed 24 of them, went back. They came up with guns to uh, um, Kapiti to arrest them. And he raised up an army of Māori warriors. And he was going down to teach Wellington or Port Nicholson a lesson. He was going to wipe them out. 
And he would have. Don't worry about that. This was going to be full-scale war. But this rangatea with the softly spoken tongue talked to the governor, talked to Taraparaa, and caused peace to happen. Not only that, but in 1860, when land was being taken from the chiefs around uh, Taranaki area, he stood up and said, this is wrong, because he knew it was wrong what they were doing. And he went to the, to the stage where the governor of New Zealand, that was governing New Zealand, the prime minister of the day, got, got him kicked out, kicked out back to England. The European settlers hated him because they thought he was against them, but he wasn't. He just stood up for injustice. As Christians, we've got to stand up for those that, are, that have been uh, wrongly treated. Yeah. So, O.H. He was a cool cat, man. I mean, honestly. Like, every picture you see of him, he's like just this skinny, pasty white boy that would have to run around in the shower to get wet, you know? I mean, he... It, I, I didn't find one, sh- one picture of him that he didn't look sickly, this guy. And he got that sick one day that for five years they carried him in a stretcher to Wellington. And he was in a bed for five years. For six, the first six months he couldn't even sit up, he's lying flat. And he decided at that time, guess what? That's right, he turned on Netflix. No, he didn't, there was no Netflix. <laughs> There's no Spotify, you know. This dude, he read books for five years, and any historian in New Zealand would say he was the most educated man in New Zealand at that time. He had the ear of every person in New Zealand. He was highly, highly intelligent. I mean, five years, come on, give me a break. I mean, what would you do if you are in bed for five years? I mean... You know, it boggles the mind just to think about it, doesn't it? He'd get up at 4 a.m. each morning. Now, I've partied to 4 a.m. a few times in the past, but not generally getting up at 4 a.m. each morning, if you know what I'm saying. Um, He travelled all around. You know, one really interesting thing is that the Maldives were confused in those days, because they looked at the European settlers and they didn't see Christianity in them because they're boozing, you know, flipping, living this lifestyle, you know, that was contrary to what Christianity was. And uh, these are some of the things Octavius Octavius had to deal with, you know, in in communicating uh, with the Māori people. And it's a good question for us too. You know, are we genuine? like this guy, O.H. Are we genuine people, you know? Are we walking a lifestyle that reflects who we serve? Or are we walking a lifestyle that reflects us and us only? Because that's a dangerous place to be. So let's be genuine people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. If we're a new creation, let's start walking like it. Let's start walking like it. Let's start showing the God that we're following.
1904, at the age of 90, this guy died. He's buried in Martin. And uh, on his tombstone, I love this, because it says, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith. And I look, man, honestly, I read about this guy, and, and for me, I just thought, man, how can I live up to this sort of level? You know, this guy is just so full on, you know, he's just accomplished so much. But look, the world's a large place. It's a huge place, and we can't be overwhelmed. And I, what I ask myself, and I'd like to ask each of us as I finish off today is, what is the burden he has laid upon your heart? And that's what you're to carry. I mean, there's a lot of burdens out there. You could be helping people left, right, and center, give all your money away, you know, live in a tent yourself, help the poor, I don't know. But for you, you've just got to ask God, what is the burden he's placed on your heart? And as you surrender to him, as you lay your life down to God, he'll reveal it. And when he does, grab that with all you can, man. Don't, don't bypass it. Because that's what you're meant to be doing. Who cares if you don't get paid for what that thing is? If God's in it, and that's the burden he's put on your heart, he will provide a way. This is the God we serve. So yeah, I'll just finish off with that statement early on. You'll never lighten any load until you feel the pressure in your own soul. Can I encourage you? Over this day, over tonight, whenever, when you get in your quiet time, ask God, what is this pressure? What, what is this burden, you know, that you want to place on my life? That I can walk fulfilled, that I can walk in your purposes, and that I can be fruitful in my lifestyle and when you die, whether you've got a coffin in the garage like my dad, or you've got a tombstone, have those words like Octavius Hadfield. I've run the race, I've kept the faith. I've run the course.